1: Welcome to a very special episode of Line Noise. My name's Johan Wald and today I've got the honour of switching roles in honour of your regular host Ben Cardew's release of his book Daft Punk's Discovery, The Future Unfurled. An in-depth study of Daft Punk's, one of Daft Punk's most celebrated albums. And here we are with the author himself, ladies and gentlemen, the great mm. Ben Cardew Third.
0: Thank you, Johan. I I feel so utterly shameless in my promotion now. The, the, I'm just opening the window and letting all the shame drift out, basically.
1: I think the, the self-promotion is no longer something to be ashamed of in this day and age. Is it not? Good. Yeah, because <laughs> everyone does it all the time. And if you look at, Recording artists, that's all they do That's what, what we've kind of built our professions on Talking about their work And then coming and doing press junkets And talking about their albums And people like you writing an entire book About an
0: album Daft Punk's Discovery Why this record? And Well, there, there's a number of reasons, right? I mean, I, I love Discovery you know, that's the most obvious one. Um, And also uh 2021 is its 20th anniversary. So, you know, it kind of t- ties in quite well. You don't have to have an anniversary, but it's nice, isn't it? You know, Um, and the other thing is like, there's loads and loads of albums I love, but I can't write anything about. You know, you must have come across that. There's kind of an album you, you listen to. Like, that's really good. And but like your response doesn't go any further than that's really good. Um And. Like Homework, Daft Punk's first album, I could have probably written about, I don't know, 10,000 words on it if I, if I stray myself. But like a whole book, I don't think I could have done. Whereas Discovery is like so much. When I when I got into it, like I was like, oh, I could write about that and that and that and that and that. And like the original plan, I think, was like for 50,000 words and it became like, I think it's like 75 at the end or seven seventy thousand words. Because it just kept on getting bigger. There just kept on being more and more things you could write about. So it's that really good combination of like an album I love and there's a lot to say about it. And it worked well in time, basically.
1: Well, that's what's amazing, because it's not like Daft Punk is a band that's been written little about. You know, everyone has written about Daft Punk for the last 20 years. We thought we knew everything there was to know about the uh, iconic and mysterious duo, but you have managed to found layers and layers just focusing on one of their albums. You obviously do the work about talking about their past, about homework, what what led up to it, but you center, you focus on discovery. Was it daunting to write a book about a band that's been so celebrated in the press?
0: It kind of, it was, but like one of the reasons why I wanted to do it is because um, like you and I were of a certain age, right? And we can remember back when Daft Punk weren't like robots. They were just two blokes from Paris, you know? And like... I kind of feel like a bit of that has got lost, you know, like there's all this narrative around them at the moment. They're like, look, okay, right. The other day I was talking about Daft Punk with someone in, in the park and they're like, oh yeah, of course no one's ever seen their faces. And I was like, no, they have, Mm -hmm. you know, like they used to just be some two blokes from Paris who, you know, you know, I've, I've seen their faces loads and loads of times. And so like in a way, although there's been so much written about it, I feel like people have kind of got the wrong impression of it somehow sometimes and i don't want to like bring them down or don't want to be like yeah they're they're just two normal blokes but i i I think there's a lot more to it than that that like you know it's not like some gods came down gave us discovery and then went back to the the spaceship you know there's history to it there's a lot of work and i actually find that quite fascinating so i think there was still stuff that was unsaid and there's a few things in the book that i haven't seen in other places so you know there's stuff that you know there's there's new stuff basically but you haven't seen in other places such as? Um, so, well, one thing is um, that they released every song. They, the plan was to release every song um, from the album as a single, like in, in order. That's never been officially confirmed. And I think I, I've kind of officially confirmed that in the book talking to their record company. And another thing was, you know, you know, there's that live action film, like Interstellar. Yes. Apparently, but when they started off, apparently their, their plan was to do like a real, like, real proper sort of, uh, well, not live Ooh, action what's the yeah, feature, real, feature film yeah, with actors yeah like around around discovering they had all these kind of ideas about like you know this scene in which like um robots would break out and they'd have this big war and they'd be fighting only to discover they were fighting themselves and that kind of thing and that was like there right at the start of it and it was like I don't I haven't seen that anywhere before Um, And like Todd Edwards, who's one of the collaborators, he he was talking about that, which I found which I found quite interesting because it's like it's just another weird, weird layer of how it all sort of fits in, you know. And also, basically, there's a few theories in the book, which are just my theories, you know, and I'm not saying they're true or not. But like, that's what I've thought about. And I haven't seen anyone come up with those with those theories before, you know. (laughs) Um, like uh, you, like my idea that the album's sort of deliberately flawed. Like, I haven't done, seen anyone come up with that. And it's not like, you know, it's not like that's an accepted fact or there's big facts backing up, but it's my idea, you know, and I'm sticking to
1: it. But it's great because you could think of Daft Punk as being two different bands. There's the underground house chicago house detroit techno loving music nerds crate diggers which all the sort of purists adore for but then there's that mainstream conception of daft punk of people who kind of really know them as those robot guys the pyramid tour guys from 2006 as you said there's a guy who who say oh yeah nobody's ever seen their faces is like no man there's there's a history of daft punk before the robots and this album uh, this Book does a good job in, in in nitpicking all those eras. How hard was it coordinating your own chronolo- chronology to, to tell this story?
0: Quite hard. Like I realised when when you're doing this that like um, even if this is fairly recent history, like you know you're talking at most uh, thirty years ago, like a lot of sort of things have gone right. To, I'll give you a case in point. All right, discovery. There was, like, everyone, you know, everyone looks on Wikipedia, right, to see when something happened. But, like, the release date for Discovery on Wikipedia, I was looking, it kept on changing. And, like, kept on going to, like, February and then March and then February and then March. And, like, obviously, like, we shouldn't just look at Wikipedia. But, like, you know, a lot of people do. It's a good source of discovery. And, like, it kept on going between February and March. Like, when was Discovery released? And, like, there was not. An official answer again that's something i've sort of confirmed by speaking to to the record company i got the actual official dates of when it was released but it's crazy it's like you know when when an album was released that should be like you know really easily done and i don't want i don't want to be too hard but like major media outlets did 20th anniversary uh pieces on discovery um saying it was released on this day in february and it wasn't like because it, it was released did it was released in march um on virgin I, yes on Bur- yeah yeah and that was one and like, you know, then you go back into things like, well, when was Daft Punk's first gig? And it's like, it doesn't really it it's kind of hard to find out. I think that, you know, you kind of do a lot, a lot of searching. And like, for example, there's this one there's a YouTube uh video of what might be their first gig, or certainly it's their first gig on video. And then if like you compare that to the mixed cloud entry which or which sources back like to a flyer that someone's got you. But okay, so that gig happened on that day. But it was difficult. I'll give you another example, right? And this is one of the reasons that I wanted to, to, to write it is when I was living in Paris, right? I lived in Paris from 1970 to 98 and 99 to 2000. Me and my mates <laughs> went to see Basement Jacks play, right? And on, when I bought the ticket, it said Basement Jacks, plus uh, Thomas Mangalta and Gee Man. I was like, what? That's going to be great. So anyway, Basement Jacks played. And um, afterwards, yeah, Daft Punk shuffled on and they, they did a DJ gig, which you'd think would be quite a monumental thing. But there is no reference. The only references to this anywhere on the whole internet, internet are things I've written. Like, there's no reference. And I, I can't remember the date. I can't remember exactly. It was it was in to 2000 I think it was 1999, but it might have been i mean i can locate it like a vague day because that's when i was in that's when i was in paris but like no one knows and it's like oh my god that wasn't that long ago either how can no one know this wow you
1: witnessed daft punk well right when they were crystallizing wasn't it 97 that era wow and well this is the thing nowadays you could trace your steps by looking at your card history and stuff but even back in 97 you know you You probably paid in cash at the door. You don't know, you know, there's no way of sort of, well, there could be a way. A a private investigator could probably say, yes, Ben, you were there that night,
0: such and such. Well, the other thing is, right, like Daft Punk. Okay, so this isn't authorized by Daft Punk. I did speak to their manager and he was like, oh, yeah, send us over over a chapter and we'll sort of see how we're going on. Mm. And in the end, that was like 10 days before they split up. They split up, No, you know, so I didn't get to speak to them. So it's not like an authorized Daft Punk book. And I would love, if they're listening, I would love to do an authorised Dove Punk but where I could just be like, What date did this happen? Because right, the thing is they they are quite up for mystery, right? And they're like, Oh, you know, oh, we we you know, we we like a bit of enigma, which I really respect, but sometimes it's bloody hard because you're just like, Well, is this true or not? Like, is this is this true? Hmm. Like, you know, one more time, right? Samples um Eddie John. Yes. Um and, right, One More Time was released in 2000. And ever since then, people are going like, oh, yeah, yeah, this sample's Eddie Johnson." And you've been people having people who've been, like, you know, remaking it. You know how people do, like, they go on, like, they some technology, and they're like, yeah, I'm just going to film myself doing this and remaking it. And it's like, okay, well, that, that, that's one more time, isn't it? And they've been using the Eddie John's sample. But they didn't confirm that they'd sampled it. It's not mentioned on the sleeve. They didn't confirm they'd sampled it until May this year, right? And when I was writing the book, I was like, I want to get this right, okay. So everyone online says they sampled it, but they've never confirmed it. So should I mention it or not, you know? And uh, it was just as I was finishing it, they actually said, you know, because there was an article about, like, how ID Johns apparently hasn't made any money whatsoever from the sample, that they actually confirmed it, that, that he did sample it, and they'd been paying money to this company who'd been trying to get in contact with him and, and that, that kind of thing. Oh. But, like, it get And, I, again, I can understand, like, why you want don't want to confirm everything but like there's a lot of sort of myth and rumor around Daft punk that as a sort of nitpicking journalist i found like a little bit a little bit frustrating at times and it, that's also quite revealing about the book the fact that
1: everyone thinks oh yeah one more time 2001 before you know in march right
0: uh, march or one, one more time was November 2000 the the album was March 2001
1: that's it but the song had actually been on a shelf lying on a shelf for three years according to your book yeah 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 so it's it's amazing when you think oh yeah the sound of 2001 house you know when when one more time came out it's like well no because that song was made three years before or um which is quite revealing and it shows how mist well that whole f- filter disco which you honor in the book as well as much as the record itself um it's it, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when the start of filter disco or French starts you you do sort of say that Todd Edwards is kind of more responsible for it Todd Todd Terry DJ snake yeah, Todd Terry kind of, sorry yeah Todd Terry I get my Todd's mixed <laughs> It's a lot of A <laughs> Lot of Todds. A lot of Todds. Um but it is, it is, it is as much as a an homage to Discovery as it is to the French touch sound that we all have grown to love and was so big at the time, and it still kind of is. Um We we
0: love it. We? When we can go out, we'll be French touching around.
1: So it, it d- according to your book, do you think Discovery is the album that most celebrates French touch? because you know uh, everything else was sing, uh, sing singles by different producers and DJs and f communications and etc cetera, etc cetera.
0: but as an album you see my my theory is that duff like discovery isn't it kind of is french it kind of depends how you see french touch like if you think of french touch as like what a group of french producers did between these particular years right then discovery is the absolute peak of that you know let's like say nineteen ninety six to you know, 2005, to say something, you know, Discovery is the absolute peak of that because I don't think there's any sort of better better albums. But like, if you think of French Touch as like Filtered House, then kind of Discovery gets away from that a bit, you know, like, all right, One More Time is, is quite old, Daft Punk, but like a lot of Discovery is really weird, and that's why I like it because like, you know, you're kind of expecting something to sound like Stardust or One More Time, and you've got these weird metal guitars coming in, and you're like, what the hell is that, you know, mm. why, why. Um, why are they playing this like weird harpsichord solo that sounds like classical music? You know, so it's sort of it is French touch and it isn't. You know, like And again, that's what that's what I love about it because oh, you must remember when it came out. Like pe- a lot of people, were like, what the hell is this? So that's what that's that took me back because I remember
1: uh, when that album came out. The, uh, I was really into house music and going to deep house clubs in Madrid and. I used to work at a clothing store, which was next to Ama Records, which they were, you know, it was a crate digging kind of shop. And uh, they would put sort of new releases on the on the stereo and, the, and the, on the mall where we were all located. And uh, one more time came on and it's like, wow, this, this sounds kind of amazing. But then when I heard it at a club, uh, DJ Jose Luis Magoya, who ran Deep, along with Susie K., He put it into his set, and I thought that's odd. That's quite a mainstream song to be played in the underground house club, even though you know it's like that funk. But even back then, I remember thinking of them as being, oh yeah, they've they've kind of become mainstream now. They're not so cool anymore.
0: Well, also, do you remember that vocal effect? Like now, we're all like auto-tune is, is really accepted, you know, yes. and, and, like, we don't sort of think, oh, that's auto-tune, we just get on with it. But back then, like, the only big song with auto-tune, well, there were kind of two. One was Shares Believe, and the other yeah. was Blue, uh, Eiffel 65. Oof. <laughs> exactly. Blue, the boy band. No, uh, are they called Blue? No, you know, that that, that, that sort of... <laughs> they... No, what are they called? <laughs> They're not called <laughs>
1: Blue. <laughs>
0: that one. Oh, sorry, the group's called Eiffel 65, and oh, okay. the song's called Blue... Um, <laughs> So, do you like again, like when when One More Time came out and people were like, oh my god, they've ripped off share. A lot of people thought that.
1: Yeah, the share effect. Seriously, you say it in the book that the, the auto tune was ru- pu- m- offered to the public in 1997?
0: Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, more yeah. or
1: less, according to records. I'm amazed that it had, I thought, for instance, when you hear the vocoder effect, that's different, isn't it? Yeah. And that's yeah. been on since the 70s, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The vocoder yeah. effect. Which is something that I imagine Daft Punk as you know who who have always been very much in love with the nineteen seventies in general and soft rock and I imagine Neil Young's Trans Am being somewhere among their record collection. Um, I'm, I'm, I was just amazed to to sort of learn through your book that auto tune was so young when when I always thought it was some kind of seventies thing studio trickery.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Like again, that's something that kind of gets forgotten about because auto tune is so. Um, you know, so accept it and like, I'm, do you remember when there was a backlash against "Daughter Tune" like two thousand? I don't know, two thousand eight or two thousand. And it was still
1: because of share, because it was the share effect, wasn't it?
0: Well, I kind of, I don't know. I think I think people would like people will. I'm not sure if that was share. That's a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm unfair bit,
1: on her. I mean, <laughs> for, for Cher. She's, That's a, she's, a she's an icon. <laughs> we,
0: we, I love that tune. You know, yeah. But I think back in the day, and my God, "Blue Badadie." That is like the national anthem of kids. They still love it. They absolutely love that song. Um, I should write a book about that. Um, what What was I saying?
1: The w- auto-tune, uh, the invention of it, 97. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: No, no, just, just the, again, it's one of those things that gets a bit, you know, forgotten that, that, that people hated auto-tune for a bit. And, you know, people were like, yeah, they can't sing properly. And there was like, you know, Jay-Z did DOA, Death of Auto-Tune, you know. It's like, well... In fact, he died, it actually died. Didn't it then then. die. It just <laughs> got bigger. Well,
1: that that kind of reminds me as well of Kanye West because Kanye has a lot to thank Daft Punk because first of all, Kanye, who has always re- uh, admitted that he can't sing or doesn't know how to sing like a professional singer or he, da- he can't hold a tune, he made 808 Heartbreak um, using enti- auto tune entirely, practically no rapping. It's all sung with auto tune, and he also. Um, used Aphex Twins' Avril 14th for one of his tracks, but he did something that Daft Punk did on on Discovery, which was where they got accused of um, taking that Eddie Van Halen guitar riff yeah. for aerodynamic. Uh, but no, what they did was uh, what you mentioned in the book. You talk about how in, in advertising, for instance, it's totally normal to, what do you call it? sound uh, like sound alike's yeah no? sound alike's you 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 oh you want a you want a, a song that sounds like the beach boys wouldn't it be nice well let's get them a professional musician and change a little bit of things so that legally you don't have to pay for the authentic recording right
0: exactly yeah yeah
1: and daft punk kind of did this with aerodynamic and they recognized it as something
0: innovative or
1: was it were they trying to be innovative or do you think they were just being cheeky
0: with i think i think it was basically it was calling, like, Daft Punk is really... Uh, sorry, Discovery is really linked to uh, nostalgia in their childhoods. And, like, again, I'm a little bit younger than them, but not, like, kind of five years or something like that. So I still have some of the vague... reference. And, you know, you you remember, again, you're a little bit younger than me, but, like, the early 80s, that kind of thing was everywhere. You know, that mm. kind of, like, soft rock sound. So that, that, like, kind of Van Halen thing, I think, was... Um, you know, just kind of calling back to that, you know, like calling back to that kind of music you would hear on the radio and like maybe from your, well, I don't have an older brother, but you know, you could have heard from your older brother's bedroom or or, Mm. or that kind of thing. Um, So it's like nostalgic, but like putting in a house song was innovative, if you see what I mean, because it's like house and metal like just didn't, didn't get on at all. So actually to like... Being like, yeah, we're going to start off disco, then we're going to have like this massive like rock guitar. So again, it sounds quite normal these days because like, people are like a lot more accepting of like different types of music. But it was so strange, mm. and like, and it was really innovative. But it was kind of like fueled by nostalgia, but really innovative and in bringing it together. I think I
1: I'm i never really liked that whole when people not only Daft Punk, Justice do it a lot as well, and a lot of French producers they get that kind of symphonic um, harpsichordy kind of melody with the played on a kind of 80s guitar, digitalized guitar. Uh, I've never, I've always found, found them the skippable tracks. Oh, I quite like that sound. I don't know it's, it's it's especially when they get very symphonic and I don't know I think it's it's like okay it's very it's very Versailles <laughs> you're kind of like yeah, okay yeah. these guys are from Versailles they're making the music that's supposed to
0: sound in the palace uh,
1: but electronically I don't know. but I am a
0: massive Francophile so anything French goes goes for me I absolutely love France and French music so yeah.
1: Because Gaspard Auger's solo album again, the symphonic thing—he's doing it all over on on, on well, his new stuff.
0: Like that's really discovery. That album, you know, also yeah. came out after I'd, I'd written the book, but I'd I have mentioned it. But like, it's so discovery—the kind of like baroque melodies, you know—it yeah. sounds quite classical, and it's like you say, it's like it's like Versailles. It's kind of calling back to that that time, those kind of those kind of melodies. If you just took like the melodies or something like. Um, uh, what's it gonna do? Like Digital Love, you know, has that, that sort of like weird trumpety bit. Yeah. It's so like Versailles, you yeah. know, like you could imagine like a trumpeter in livery playing that kind of thing.
1: And it's also hard to separate Daft Punk from Phoenix. Obviously, Laurent Brank- uh, Brankovic was uh, the guitarist with Darlin. Uh, the first band that Daft Punk were, you know, the, the the band that was Daft Punk before they became Daft Punk. <laughs> How important was that select review, uh, that that damning review of of Darlin's music, Me- Melody Maker, Melody Maker? Sorry, select was a different magazine. <laughs> How important in the history of Daft Punk was that review?
0: It, I think, what it did, it basically accelerated the process because I think they were already kind of moving a bit towards electronic music, and I think they would have ended up where they did anyway but I think at the same time it was just like it was an impetus it was like well we're kind of moving away from this because I've, I've got an interview they did at as Darling from the time they're already talking about like oh yeah rock music's kind of finished we're like moving on to ele- electronic music you know um, and then you know somebody says you're daft Punky trash and it's like oh I, I think it, you know it got, they got a bit depressed it was like alright well we'll go and do we'll go and do something else but I think it would have happened anyway you know
1: yeah yeah and uh well i love phoenix that's the thing and it's nice how they they've they've kind of maintained their careers parallel and kept doing things with each other there was that famous phoenix show at the massive square garden where they introduced daft punk at the on the encore of the show um there's even a song called phoenix on homework is it on homework? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. On homework. Oh, there's all these like little nods, you know, the, this camaraderie, this friendship
0: that has lasted all these years. Well, let me let me put this to you, right? Okay. Um, Phoenix's debut album, right? Mm-hmm. Has a couple of tunes. Um, if I Ever Feel Better. Yeah. Um, and uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Is it Too Young? Too Young. Right. Those two songs. Imagine if you did the production a little bit more electronically. Just a little bit more. They could be on Discovery. I reckon. Yeah. And I love those two songs. They're so good. Like, because they, they kind of got that, that sort of weird disco rock edge. They're very, very lush. Like, you make them just a little bit more robotic, you know, put effects on the voice and they could be on Discovery, I reckon
1: and in hindsight it's amazing homework because it was their home is it because it was their home studio yeah they were kind of doing their homework and it it was like they were the scholars of chicago house and detroit techno and they've got song like teachers where they're paying homage to all the all the producers that came before them then you've got disco very very disco discovery the the the, the, which is the period of when they were children, listening to their big brothers' records, the the '80s metal and the soft the '70s soft rock. Um, but then there's human after all, and random access memories. No, it, it, so you look back at their whole work, and it's all very cohesive. Yeah, it's amazing. They didn't just sort of think, okay, what do we do this time
0: around? But um, and I think maybe that's why, like, they had to split up because I think delivering four albums so well thought out and so cohesive and so clever and th- each one different, each one with its own theme. It's like, can you imagine the headache with come up with a fifth album? It's not like, okay, we can just go and like make some some tunes. It's like, okay, what's the concept? What are we going to do differently? Like, how are we going to build on these four albums but do something that isn't quite the same? What Like, that must be so hard. Because even if you think,
1: okay, let's look to the future, they kind of did that with Tron Legacy or the Tron soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Leg- yeah, Tron Legacy soundtrack, which was more soundtrack sim- uh, soundtracky than, you know, there was only uh, Bedezzled or Derezzled, I can't remember the name of the track, which was a little bit dance floory, But the rest was, you know, a movie soundtrack, a yeah. sci-fi movie soundtrack. Yeah there there was no i mean i'm sure there was places for them to go they could have but yeah yeah it's a great way to end it um anyway going back to the actual making of the book how this is a typical question in these times how did the pandemic help you get on with it
0: um how did the <laughs> pandemic help me well lockdown
1: <laughs> cuz how long had you been planning this book
0: i'd been planning it i've been thinking about it for a few years uh-huh. um i started writing it in summer 2020 and then i did most of the work from like december 2020 to april 2021 so um basically what what happened was i had 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 this idea and it was discovery's 20th anniversary and um i had like one chapter that was sort of floating around and um it got to december and like december sort of work eased off for various for Mm -hmm. various reasons i was like if i don't do it now i'm not i'm not ever gonna do it so i basically just got up early in the morning and started writing and like i wrote the first draft really like in a couple of weeks or something like that but really really rough um so yeah it wasn't i don't think the pandemic really Hmm. actually i'll tell you what the pandemic did do i'm i've got no evidence of this but i think books are selling a lot more pandemic i think people are reading more and there seems to be like um yeah, real appetite for books, because like I know, OK, maybe I know this because I'm looking out for it, but like a lot of people who seem to be publishing books now, it seemed to be like 10 years ago, I didn't really know anyone who had published a book. And now I know quite a lot of people. And I think there is just like more demand for it. And I think oh. that may be linked to the, the pandemic in a way.
1: And how was it scary writing about someone's work without having their official voice
0: involved in the book? No, because I assumed from the start there wouldn't be they wouldn't um they wouldn't participate. And there's loads of interviews like I could from from that time. Also, I sort of thought of it in a way in a way it's a bit like a long review. You know, there are parts of it that are like a long review. So and you don't you don't speak to people when you're doing a review, you just give your your hmm. opinion. Um. So no, that 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 didn't worry me. That didn't worry. Too much. It's mainly because like, if you were speaking to them, you could have gone. You know, you could have like ironed out any mistakes. Like, I really hope there aren't mistakes in it. But I mean, and I tried everything so there wouldn't be. But like, pretty inevitably, you know, I, I think there might be some. And like, it'd just be so much easier if you just go. Uh, yeah. What was this actually? You know, X Y Z, rather than you know having to rely on like 18 different reports that say different things you know but uh no it, it, it wasn't too intimidating in fact for a while what what kind of worried me was like if they had at a latter stage if they had a last stage saying oh actually we are going to do an interview for that i'd have to rewrite the whole thing which would have been good but like in a way it'd be like oh my god how much work
1: well you also got some very good um witnesses to speak on behalf of their experience or or their knowledge of Daft Punk, you even have uh, people like Richie Horton, uh, Armin van Helden quoted in the book. Was it did this happen during the last uh, year of making this book? Where you managed to get in touch with a lot of these legends?
0: Yeah, less than that. I mean, Armin van Helden um, is a quote from a podcast. He didn't want to. Oh, okay. He didn't want to do an interview sadly. Oh. But like, um, what what happened was basically after I got a structure sort of sorted out was. Um, uh, I just started to con- contact people and some I'd already had contact with, um, some I knew anyway. Um, the case with Richie Horton, actually, I was speaking to him about something else, which is kind of where being a journalist <laughs> was, And I was just at the end, I was like, do you mind, you know, I was like, it's for a book, it's something kind of different. Do you mind just like, you know, getting telling me what you know about, about, you know, Daft Punk and Da Funk and that, that kind of thing. And he, he did it then, which was very which was very convenient, you know, because it could have happened like I could have, I could have had the book without his input, but it was really nice to get, to get what, you know, some input from him, him talking about, you know, getting, um, playing the funk and getting one of the, one of the first people to get it. And they're kind of, um, what an important band they are. So I was really pleased. Thanks, Richie. Yeah,
1: that's amazing. That was another revealing thing. I can't imagine Richie Horton dropping the funk in any of it. Cause I have only ever heard Richie Horton play Hard techno or yeah. min- hard minimal techno. I've never heard him play a house set or something lower than 130 BPMs. So it's like, wow! Imagine the time when 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 he must have dropped that in one of his sets. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Oh. Maybe he'll go back to it. Yeah. And and uh, the other ones who uh, you know, there's you talk about how they were up before Discovery, how they they hated being compared to the Chemical Brothers <laughs> because at the time. Even in electronic music, even though there were so many other people doing their own thing, and, and electronic duos, you had Basement decks, you had uh, Orbital, you had Underworld, you had all these other people creating electronica for big bigger stages that weren't just the clubs. You know, it's funny. That it's it's funny remembering that there was a time when they were called the the French Chemical Brothers.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and like again, no no, Dis the Chemical Brothers, who I like a lot, but like you know, they're they're sort of several steps down the legendary phase i i I would say you know um but like it it wasn't it wasn't inevitable you know there's no there was no inevitability that that like duffman would follow like homework with with something that good was there you know Mm. like they might have just stayed as the french the french chemical brothers Who, who the hell knows you know
1: but it was an exciting time because i remember 19 between 97 and 2000 shall we say you'd go to a big record store like a fnac or Madrid Rock back in Madrid, you know
0: these big, big, you know. The hey, that, that, that's where I bought it from. I was living in Madrid at the time. I'm in,
1: pretty sure it was Madrid Madrid Rock. I Madrid Rock, yeah, yeah, yeah like
0: big big record show. Not yeah. not yeah. though, yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. It was it was it was a lot of fun because they'd always have like offers as well, and and they'd always have the newest stuff from big labels like Virgin and stuff. You know, it wasn't like your underground indie kind of record store. It was a, It was a different experience, the CD experience. And I remember there was so many electronic duos coming out there was stuff that was more like air like those zero seven and stuff you know the the whole electronic area it was always very exciting because all these covers were incredibly well designed it was all there was always like very tasteful graphic design going on very innovative stuff that you'd never seen before like typography i don't know it wasn't it wasn't just seeing like a, a band of people on the cover posing you know it was like wow very interesting artwork was happening and i remember yeah, chemical brothers basement jacks etc cetera, etc cetera, and daft punk playing in their own league um i love going back to armand van helden i like uh, what i loved about the quote uh, his quote talking about uh, recounting the stupor among audiences at the miami winter conference when daft punk opened their set with the theme to miami vice you know people didn't get it and it's like really back back then and and he's He's very classy in saying that house music people or house music fans were very pure back then rather than calling them narrow-minded or obtuse.
0: But it's, it's, it's true, though, isn't it? Like a lot of, it, uh, you know, if you used to go to house clubs back yeah. then, you know, it would be like, no, only kind of house at this specific BPM and you shall not play. And like I remember when I saw Daft Punk DJ being kind of quite shocked because they dropped Prince, you know, and it's like, that's Prince. Uh like now anyone dropping principal I totally accepted. But yeah. I was like, oh wow, I can't believe they played like Raspberry Beret, you know?
1: Because if it wasn't a four to the four, like a yeah, song yeah. with like a three-minute intro so that the DJ could mix it into the the, the 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 two remaining minutes of the previous track, uh, you know, when you just cut the rhythm, it it seems like yesterday. And nowadays that we all DJ and we all mix and mash and put everything in and you put a reggaeton song in and a punk rock and a new wave song in and whatever. It, it It's amazing to go back to those times when no, 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 it, there was a purism and it was strict and there was a snobbery in house music clubs. I almost miss
0: it. Yeah, but I don't. I think, I, I think it's definitely better. I mean, I know what you mean in that it's kind of like quite a nostalgic thing, but I think it's a lot better, isn't it? You know, rather than like, oh no, you can't play that. You know, like I, I, I again, I'm I'm thinking of of Madrid. Like I went to, um, I remember going to a deep house club in Madrid, and I probably just wasn't going to the right club. This was probably my fault, but I remember it just like being the most boring music, and it didn't change like for eight hours, and I was like, oh. God, will he please change? Like, I, I mean, I wasn't there eight hours, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, and I was just thinking I would, I would like pay a hundred euros just for the DJ to put on like, I don't know, Madness or something like that. But it was just like, no, just the same just the, like, boring old DJ. By the way, when I saw Punk DJing in Paris, that gig I told you about, guess what? <laughs> they ended the night with their what final, <laughs> the final countdown. Europe?
1: Yeah. <laughs> really? That was their closing song. Yeah. The thing is, if you dropped it now it could because it's got that beautiful 80s production you know even though it was a supposedly a hard rock group it was it had those pop arrangements and stuff hmm and it was a massive song funny enough i was reading an interview with Joey Tempest yesterday on the bog because <laughs> for some reason they just dug out the t- you know he 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 got he he got um he was disrespected by kurt cobain which was an uh, which was very flattering for him the fact that kurt cobain would know who europe and joey tempest were uh there was a story about uh, lemmy sort of not sort of recognizing them as a rock band but getting on with them very well freddie mercury very being very angry at europe because they didn't close the door of the studio where they were recording some drums and it was getting into his opera recording i don't know know. we're talking about europe amazing
0: interview that sounds great
1: yeah yeah but um it's okay but back to the book um i still haven't finished the entire book so uh, it, it's a page turner ladies and gentlemen it's definitely a very entertaining read and it's beautiful how you go in in depth into all the sort of seven inches all the sort of tracks you know this is a real um a, a collector of white labels fantasy because you've got them all written down and you, you've just got to make a playlist uh as you're reading um what else is there to to talk about in uh, uh, Discovery what else am I going to find out I'm I'm about
0: page 50 you'll get to a bit where like at which I discuss how um, I think this is one of my theories like I think the album is deliberately flawed basically because um, and I've got absolutely zero evidence of this but right okay too long the closing song yeah now is it not a bit too long yeah yeah Right. Now, if you were in a group and they speak very good English, they're very intelligent people and you were writing a song that went on for and you would possibly think it went on a bit too long. Would you call it too long? Come on, you've got to be you've got to be slightly taking the piss there, right? Haven't you or just like acknowledging it in a way because it is too long. You know, imagine having the sort of spirit to do it. And also, also, also one more time. Why on earth would you not end the, the album with a song called One More Time? It's the absolute perfect song to end an album with. And they've stuck it right at the start. Because if you if you put it on the end, you can start the album with aerodynamic. You've got that bell clanging. It's absolutely brilliant. And these two things just seem like so wrong. Such obvious errors. It's like, well, maybe, maybe they've made it deliberately flawed. So then you'll see the humanity if you see what I ah. mean. Because if you, uh, again, like discoveries about robots but it's also about humans and human feelings right and if you put in these little nods like like too long just be a little bit too long you know it's like yeah we're, we're kind of human in fact we're human after all if you think about it you know it, it's sort of that's one of my um pet theories about it anyway um, so you'll you'll encounter that. Um, you'll encounter like, I feel a bit bad about this. I should say I say this now. I feel a bit bad, but I'm I'm quite rude about a couple of the songs on Discovery. Not that rude. I mean, you, you
1: generally the the tone is all very it, as a review. If you're saying this is like a really extended review, a seventy thousand word review, it's it's very benevolent. It really it shows that you love the band, that you have so much respect for them. There's no there's no point where I felt you were trying to be smarter than them or anything. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's incredibly respectable.
0: Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. Well, you'll, you'll get to, um, what else we got? There's a bit about, um, Darth club. Uh, do you remember that Daft club? The, um, the card that came when you bought discovery? No, it's just basically it's just you, when you bought discovery, you got this card, yeah. friendly oh. a little credit sized card, which you could go online and enter the, the DAF club and you could get like loads of unreleased music. Back in 2001, which is like, and I think it's one of the very first online fan clubs, which is pretty crazy. Um, And I just think that's a brilliant idea, like before iTunes even launched.
1: Well, that's another thing that was eye-opening about the book. I didn't know about their separate work before Discovery, uh, the stuff that they were releasing on their own uh, labels uh, as independent producers. Obviously, I do have the pressing of Roulettes release of Together, the song he did with DJ Falcon, massive. Oh. I first heard it drop by Ralph Lawson in Marbella, deep Marbella, the, the club that Jose Luis Magoya was, was running with Susie Kiddle. They had the summer edition in Marbella and he played together. All of a sudden that together, you know, he stopped and, and let it, let it play in full. And then when that, Synthy guitar thing comes in. Woof! My hairs, my hairs are standing up on oh, end. Oh man, yeah, be amazing. Ma- that was massive, and I, th- that's going to be worth something. Um, but so I, I knew about Bang Bangalter stuff with uh, Roulet, but I wasn't aware of uh, Guy Man's, um "Credemor." Yeah, "Credemor," "Criedemor," the, the, the crying, crying of love. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love cry.
0: <laughs> the cry, and and the cry of love. The cry of love.
1: I didn't, you know, see, I I didn't know that all those releases were happening. I didn't know that people could get away putting them on mixtapes and selling those mixtapes back in the United States and stuff like that.
0: Well, it's like that's the thing. It's it's basically like um, I talk in the book about like credibility and where credibility comes from, and like you know, you you've got these kind of two kids from like two men, not kids from bourgeois mm. Paris, and like you've got people in in Detroit and Chicago. You know, putting their songs on mixtapes or bootlegging their songs. You had like Slum Village sampling their songs, hmm. and it's like you know that uh, technically illegal. Technically, they, they shouldn't be dead, but like that's like the best thing that could happen. You know, it's like that is like the heart of dance music, and these people are are giving you like a big um, a big recommendation. You know, um, and I thought it was really good that when basically Slum Village sampled Thomas a song. Um, the group's manager didn't like threaten like threat sue them or anything. It was like I will tell you what, right? In exchange for that, you do us a remix, which was like a really clever way of 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 doing it. And I just think it's like, um, even though Daft Punk became this massive, massive group, like they still, I think they're always like quite respectful towards like the roots of dance music and and wow other types of music you know they they never you know they never said like we invented house music because they mm. didn't you know and teachers they call back to it and like you know that when like DJ Dean or whatever put like Thomas to relay tracks on on a mixtape uh, they sort them out and sort of you know to say hello basically so I think they had a lot of respect for, for that and that hopefully 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 that's something I tried to get in the book like that Daft Punk did not invent house music they did not invent techno you know there was yeah. all this like American music before them do not like However Brent Daft Punk were Do not think they, they Invent it Because there was loads before
1: There was loads But you kind of forget it You kind of think No no This is Kilometer Zero For all the sort of Hotel lounge house sound, uh, all that kind of, because they were so elegant and bougie with a lot of their soft rock references. You know, it is music to listen to by the pool,
0: wearing the white trousers that we've talked about. Wow, well, this is something I get to. Maybe, maybe you'll get to in a bit. But like, basically, like that whole soft rock thing did not exist, or the the revival obviously it exists in the seventies. You know, you know yeah. what I mean. But like, my 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 theory is it didn't exist before discovery. Like, there was no. Guilty pleasures. Yeah, there was no too slow disco. Yeah, uh, like soft rock. Nobody liked soft rock. Yeah, at the time, and like they came along and they were like, oh no, actually, soft rock's really cool. And I think that was a really big moment in like soft rock coming back in bougie shoes and white trousers <laughs> and yachts. And it's never left because exactly, it just keeps. Yeah.
1: You know, I was listening to uh, the, the the breakfast show on NTS. How a lot of it is soft rock, and even not even remixed. You know, it's just in there. And- well, that's the thing. Like soft rock,
0: never left. Auto tune, never left. Yacht uh, rock, I- exactly. And like these things, again. All right, I'm I'm pretty obsessed with discovery. I'd have to be to sort of write a book about it, but like <laughs> <laughs> maybe too obsessed with it. <laughs> but it's so influential. These trends that that came, and it wasn't solely responsible for them, but it had a really large large hand in doing them. And like you listen to. Um uh, uh, so much pop music these days like oh yeah that's quite that's quite discovery you know
1: Or even going back 10 years or even 15 uh, the whole ed banger revolution obviously Pedro Winter who was the manager Daft Punk's manager for a long for such a fundamental period you know he went and formed ed banger and all of the people on ed banger from from Justice to uh, DJ Meddy to what's his name Breakbot Breakbot his entire sound is that sort of soft-rocky
0: Daft Punk. Yeah, yeah. Soft-rock through Daft Punk sound. And the other thing is, right, to be to be technical, do you know what I mean by sidechain compression? No. It's that sound where um, basically what you do is you you put the bass drum typically with, you, you kind of connect it to the other elements of the sound. So when the bass drum comes through, the other sounds go down a little bit. So the bass drum sounds absolutely massive. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of like pumping sound you know like, mm, 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 that, that, that that kind of thing like you get a load of it in 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 together that again duff punk were the first people do it. the first people do it in like a in a big way and loads of people copied it from them and that was really big in that sort of ed banger wave basically like mm. justice used it a lot basically
1: yeah, yeah. Without, I mean, without Daft Punk, no justice, definitely. And another one who's got a lot to answer for is James Murphy, because you know, obviously he he homaged them in on his on LCD Sound System debut album with Daft Punker playing at my house. But even losing my edge is kind of teachers in it with a different, you know, with a kind of basing the 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 pattern on the fall and post punk and stuff. But you know, it's calling out. It's, Calling out his references, no, homizing all his his um, all the people who've made him musically who he is, no, same as teachers, and you, you kind of think, wow, so many things lead back to Daft Punk. Well, and also
0: rock and dance music, you know, because okay, there was like in the early nineties there was like indie indie dance and mm-hmm. those, those kind of things, and it was quite big, but like again in two thousands they weren't really getting on like rock and dance music were kind of like you were a fan of the strokes yeah. or you were a fan of like techno or something like that you know and get daft Punk again they brought in all these like rock uh instruments rock uh styles on on discovery and then a few years later up uh, pop lcd sound system i don't which i don't think was a coincidence quite frankly
1: yeah 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 the the, the constellation was forming so we say <laughs> and uh, talking about let's see uh, the Oh yes. Uh, another thing that's amazing about Daft Punk is they were pretty big already by the time Discovery came out. They had a budget uh, yeah, yeah. that they could they could use. And how careful they were with their collaborators. You know, only Romanthony, Todd Edwards, Todd uh, uh
0: DJ Sneak, DJ
1: Sneak. Uh and and even back in back on Homework the same thing they could have had well, that, that that was more low budget because it was them figuring it out and DIYing it all the way. But all of a sudden on Discovery, they could have had anyone. Uh, but they, they carefully they carefully picked their collaborators. Why do you think that is?
0: Um, I think basically Romantini well, I think all three were basically like musicians they'd they'd really loved for a long mm. time. And if you get to by the time of Discovery, like uh DJ Snake has recorded he's done a remix for Creedemore, guy guy man, guy Man's label. Mm. And Romantini has released uh, a record on Roulet, Thomas's label. So there was that kind of um, connection there. Um, and I think, um, I just don't think they they need needed that many collaborators. I think the ones they had were absolutely perfectly, perfectly picked. The other thing I really, really like about Discovery, which is quite unusual, is like what they did with those collaborators. Like Romantini, okay, Romantini sung, which is brilliant. Romantini sings. He does kind of what you might expect. But like Todd Edwards sung on a song, which he you know like he he, I, mean, I think he's his vocal on Face Face is excellent. But he wasn't like a singer at the time, yeah. and they were like, yeah, why don't you sing it? And like DJ Sneak wrote the lyrics to Digital Love, and it's like as far as I can know, he hasn't written any lyrics before then. You like you made like pumping house music, and I really like that fact. They're just like they got these people in, and were like, well, why don't you try that? You know, why don't you give 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 that a go? Yeah, you sing it. And what came out was absolutely brilliant and it may be like they got people a little bit out of their comfort zone you know yeah, yeah
1: that and and it's amazing that cuz the way you talk about the romanthony I, I didn't know that he was such a elusive figure and he wasn't the easiest person to work with yeah. but, and how i don't know if because they knew or stuff but they kind of sent a limousine to pick him up you know make him feel like a proper star coming to record in paris that that was very that it got, it shows what good taste they have that uh, thomas and giman uh how they yeah, how how it's like? Look, we're making this out of fun, you know. It's it's we're making money from it, but this is fun, and we're taking people out of their comfort zones. We'll bring them over to Paris, give them the royal treatment.
0: Yeah, and who do you want to get that more than like Rum You know, like I think it's brilliant that they um, that, that they did that. And if you when he gets to like Todd Edwards recording face face, he talks about how they flew him over to Paris, and the first time they just hang out. You know, and like they didn't have to do that. Nothing from the song actually came out. You know, they already had like a draft of the song and then they flew up to Paris and they just kinda of hung out for a few days, you know. yeah. And he, he he was telling me like how how happy he was, you know, like how um how lovely it was to spend the, this this time in Paris and how he hadn't really left no he had left the country but i don't think you know anyway and again it's like you know strictly according to album recording albums you didn't have to do that yeah you know you didn't get anything out of it but like they did to kind of create this kind of like family idea and i strongly believe that what kind of came out was better for that you know because it wasn't like right here's half an hour do your vocal now It was like come here you know come to paris you know and um again i think that's that's all part in a way of producing great records like obviously production in many ways is to do with like you know not twisting knobs and like that that kind of thing but it's also to do with how to get the best out of people yeah. and i think daft punk were 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 very good at that
1: i mean they've and they did it all the way up to random access memories where you know they got giorgio moroder in to talk he's like well what do you want me to play what do you want me to sing and they're like no 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 we just want you to tell your little story (laughs) and uh, we're going to record it with these three expensive vintage microphones that nobody knows uh, how to differentiate except us and uh, just for the fun of it and to create a moment in history create an archive and that's that that's another thing kanye has copied kanye did the same thing when he got paul mccartney on that song Paul McCartney is barely recognizable. His present is barely recognizable, uh, but you, we know that Kanye and Paul McCartney made up and they did something. And I don't think he even played the the bass. I think he played a guitar I part, think
0: it, or was it keyboard or something? Or like a I keyboard. Think,
1: yeah. And I think he 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 pushed. I don't know. He disguised it in a way that it's like you don't know that Paul McCartney is yeah. on there. But it's he probably copied that from Daft Punk. It's like, oh, really? You brought out. Um, Romanthony, uh, not Romanthony, Todd Edwards, to, to do something that's not what you would expect him to do?
0: Well, mm-hmm. Kanye and Daft Punk was a very fertile relationship, right? Because, um, obviously, he sampled Harder a Far Stronger on Stronger, which is like a massive, massive hit. And I think that was the first time he had like a sort of auto-tuning, I mean, as vocoder, I think. like He had that kind of weird effect on on, mm-hmm. on one of his records. I think, might not have been, but like, it was certainly, it was like, here's a really big hit. I've got this weird effect on it. Um, and like for Daft Punk, having someone like Kanye say, because you know they weren't that big at the time in the US, they were big, but they weren't that big. And having someone like Kanye, who's like you know the god of all like American music, and who's who if he says something is good, like people believe it's good. That was that was so helpful for them and for the, all of like electronic music because it was like all right, Kanye says it's all right to work with uh, with electronic musicians mm. and with synths, and I was like well, well we'll we'll do it, you know. And that was like a massive boost for Daft Punk but also for like electronic music as a whole.
1: Yeah. And it's funny how we always have this perception that electronic music is more of a European phenomenon. And, you know, in the 90s, you had all the sort of rave culture, heavy hitters in the UK and the British press lapping it up. And you obviously had the German influence of Kraftwerk and all the other krautrock and psychedelic electronic musicians. But... It's like, hang on a minute, Chicago house and Detroit techno is purely American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what Daft Punk is mainly. Well, no, they they not mainly. They they've been drinking from every kind of pot there is. But
0: well, you'll find a later chapter, uh, which is a short chapter, uh, in which I I talk about discoveries Americana. So basically, like I of all the sh- big French house groups from early on, I think Daft Punk are the most American of them. You know, because if you take like Saint Germain, there's something quite mm. French about him, right? Yeah. Or like uh Motorbase, again, something quite sort of French and Euro- well, European and kind of classical, whereas like definitely very American sounding, you know. And if you listen like again, the three guests on Discovery are all American and the lyrics on Discovery, I feel like quite American, you know, it's about like dancing and and, and well, dancing's for everyone, but you you know what I yeah. mean. Like yeah. a dream and that and that that kind of thing. And um, I think they were like a very kind of American type band, which went over well in America. Obviously, they ended up living, you know, living in America. Yeah. But also, it makes the French a little bit annoyed by them, because <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> the, like with French and Daft Punk, there's a weird relationship. There is like they they kind of love them and they kind of don't. I find.
1: Yeah, they, you're always gonna have the local jealousy, no? Uh, and it's funny how the early on, and you mentioned that in the book, how they they were they were they were French, but they wanted to be on the Glasgow label yeah, with Slam, yeah, yeah. Uh, to be more international. Uh, sl- slam again, what a weird. But you obviously have to be really really into your club scene to to want to sort of be released by Slam and Dave Clark.
0: Well, although like. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that obscure. Like, Positive Education was quite a big tune, was it though? In
1: '95, because this was before Homework.
0: Yeah, yeah, I and mean, well, they obviously knew their stuff. They obviously knew their their yeah. stuff, but yeah, I, I guess so. But yeah, they, they were into. They were fans, you know. Like, um, when I spoke to Dave Dave Clark about it, you know, he, he um, it it was Daft Punk approaching them. You know, it was Daft Punk being like, "We want we want to be on your label, please." You know, can we set up a, a meeting with them? And you know,
1: yeah. And, and and things worked out fabulously. I mean, yeah. There's so much we could continue talking about, Ben. We could do another hour. We could do, <laughs> and we could do this chapter by chapter. But we are unfortunately running out of time. So uh, my name is Johann Wold. I re- I strongly recommend this book. It's a page turner. It is not only a love letter to Daft Punk and their work on Discovery. It's it's a love letter to house music, to white labels, to crate digging, to the the you know the magic that can be created when you lock yourself inside a room and read all the instruction manuals to your samplers and um, all the kind of gadgetry that they used in making a record that has not only proven the test of time it it, it is a it is a modern classic discovery and all everything all their output and it's amazing when you look back on a band that has become so iconic so legendary and so important within so many different spheres of musical culture. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Ben.
0: It's been a pleasure. When when we got the shame out of the window, when it, we got the, the <laughs> shameless self-promotion, we let that drift away. It's d- been it's been fun. Has
1: has the experience spurred you on to write a follow-up or or a different? I've got different I've got an subject? idea. Yes,
0: I've got an idea for a follow-up, um, and I, it's sort of plotting in my mind and on various notes I've got on my phone at the moment.
1: To do with the same artist or with a different subject matter. No.
0: Uh, to do with house music. Very good. Yeah. So they'll, they'll they'll get a mention, I'm sure. And if they want to pay me loads of money to write an official book, then hey. Mate,
1: if 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 they're flying people out to Paris in such style, I'd be so happy if they just sent you uh, an invitation to have a brunch with them in one of their country homes outside of Paris, <laughs>
0: wherever they live now. <laughs> yeah, I'll you, I don't don't think it's gonna happen. Uh,
1: you never know. You know. You know. On a whim, they might. Jesus, you know, they might actually get you to write a future thing about something that they, you know, because that Punk is not dead, even though they are no longer going to be recording music together, or whatever. The the brand is going to continue living and there'll, there'll be other anniversary editions and things. And there's always got to be some literature to be written. And who better than Ben Cardew? Your first well,
0: I, I, I would like it, but hopefully um, they'll still think that when they read about how I don't like superheroes. <laughs> I was a bit rude about it. Sorry.
1: Well, this has been uh, the special episode of Line Noise dedicated to Daft Punk's discovery, The Future Unfurled. Uh, Thank you for listening.